Who in the world was preaching last? <laughs> Goodness. That's better. That's rude, Paul. That's rude. <clears throat> good morning. Um, it's really good to be with you guys today um, with Christmas trees up and just Christmas. Um, just love Christmas. Um, before I start preaching, I just wanted to uh, give some recognition. Uh, my friend Landry is here this morning. Uh, Landry, can you wave? And he's here with his wife, Dorothy, uh, a couple of good friends of mine. And uh, Landry is the one to thank um, if things ever sound good in here. Him and Terry, I should say. Uh, but Landry's hooked us up and uh, worked really hard and um, helped upgrade all our sound stuff. So he's also, uh, you know... Um, he, this is what he does for a living, so if you're trying to upgrade your home theater uh, or your sound system at home, uh, give him a call. Um, all right, well, y'all, today uh, we are, Terry talked to us about Exodus last week, and uh, today we're moving into uh, Advent. We're in the season of looking toward uh, Jesus' coming into the world uh, as a baby on Christmas. And uh, over the next few weeks, we're just going to be talking about uh, some of the themes of Advent and what it means to look uh, towards Jesus coming into the world. Um, today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. So if you would just flip over there, if you brought your Exodus Bible today, uh, it's not going to be in there. Okay, um, I also am going to have all the scriptures up on the screen so you can follow along. Um, this is a really fun passage. Uh, we are going to be um, going through the story. At, so basically, like, anytime you read the Christmas story, usually we skip Luke chapter 1 and we go straight to Luke chapter 2. Uh, just listen to how familiar these words are, okay? And just tell me if you feel like Christmas when you hear this. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Does anybody feel Christmas when you hear those words? It's not Christmassy at all, but if you've been in church forever, you're like, okay, we're about to, it's about to be baby Jesus. Uh, but we're going to go before that, okay? Uh, there's a whole chapter before it, and it's a really good chapter. Um, it actually has a little bit to do with Christmas and baby Jesus uh, coming into the world. So uh, if you start with me in Luke chapter 1, I'm just going to pray for us, and then we'll get into the text. Dear Lord Jesus, um, we're thankful to live in a world with you in it, a world that you've visited. Especially when we look back into a passage like this where we see uh, a world that uh, there was before you visited. Holy Spirit, I ask for your help. I pray that you would speak uh, through me, guide me, and I pray that you would speak to all of us. Pray that you would bless us, pray that you would convict us, pray that you would encourage us all according to what each of us need uh, here in this room this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be a, just going to be a little bit different uh, feel this morning. We're just going to read, we're going to try to just read all the way through uh, chapter one. I'm just going to stop and comment here and there as we go and just see kind of how much time we have. Um, and it's only... 80 verses, so uh, shouldn't be too bad. <laughs> okay, starting off in verse 5. Um, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, 
I'm going to stop there. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a long sermon. <laughs> what is wrong with those words? It, does, it doesn't stop here and say, okay, here's a really bad, you know, this is, here's, uh, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, quotation marks, this is bad. Uh, you kind of have to know uh, a little bit, you have to know your Bible well, uh, as Jewish people reading this would have known. Uh, this is, this, everything is wrong with this sentence right here. Because ever since the beginning of God's people, God has been making promises, great, amazing promises to the people of the Jews. And one of those being to Abraham, he promised that they were going to have this land, they were going to have a great name, they were going to have so many descendants. He made another promise to David, uh, King David, he said, you will never cease to have a descendant sitting on the throne of Israel. Meaning that Israel was always going to rule Israel. David's son, the rightful king of, uh, of the Jews, his son was always going to be ruling the Jews. And if you know anything about King Herod, he was not a son of David. Far from it. You see, Israel right now is under the rule, under the thumb, the oppression of Rome. Rome rules Israel. Rome allows Israel to exist. Rome tells uh, Israel what to do. And he has a puppet king in place over the Jews. Herod is essentially a Gentile politician who's kissed the right rings and he's been placed in power over the Jews and he calls himself the king of the Jews. And this is not what God had intended for his people. And this is not what he had promised. And so if you're a Jew living in this time, you are confused. You're disappointed. This is not how it was supposed to be. Has God forgotten his promises? Has God really given up on us? So, the picture of the New Testament, the picture of the story of Jesus' his birth, it starts out pretty bleak, okay? So, <clears throat> let's keep on reading. Only 79 more to go. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the temple of incense, uh, for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So, this man, Zechariah, elderly priest with a barren wife, he's at the temple, and he's just been chosen to go in and offer sacrifices to God. This is a pretty normal day at the temple, but it's about to get uh, not normal. So he goes in, and the first thing he sees, it says in verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. 
for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay, so normal day of the temple, and then Zechariah goes in and an angel appears to him. And that, if it's not amazing enough, he says, you and your elderly barren wife are going to have a child. And in addition to that, he's going to be the greatest prophet there's ever been, essentially. And he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. It's pretty amazing stuff, okay? And so uh, here is Zechariah's response. He says in verse 18, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Uh, I just want to say that uh, you can tell that this man has been married a long time. (laughs) Because he says, I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. (laughs) Very diplomatic, uh, smart husband. But that's not the bad part. That was a smart part of what he said. The not smart part of what he said was, how can I be sure of this? He said, give me me a sign. How do I know what you're saying is actually going to happen? Be careful what you ask for. This is what the angel says. Um, He says, I am Gabriel, verse 19. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Basically, I have some credibility. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until this day happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So basically, uh, he says, how do I know this is going to come true? Give me a sign. And uh, Gabriel goes, here's your sign. (laughs) Boop, and he mutes him. By the way, here's your sign. you got to be pretty old to get that joke. Um, but, um, but he mutes him, essentially, and he says, you're not going to talk until what I said happens. And so, uh, essentially, every time if Gabriel thinks to himself, you know, how do, how do I know that that's actually going to happen? He'll try to ask himself, and it'll just come out. And he's like, oh, okay, that's how. Uh, so, he's going to be silent until this baby comes, and that's, that's the sign that Gabriel gives to him. So, uh, picking up in verse 21, it says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So the Lord has fulfilled his promises to Zechariah in this short time. He said, you're going to be muted, and he did. He said, you're going to have a baby, and she's pregnant. This elderly woman has been barren her whole life. Going on... um, in verse 26, we're going we're 
we're getting transported now from Jerusalem with Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah, and we're going into this little no-name town called Nazareth. And it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now watch this. She says, how will this be? Does that sound familiar? How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born... uh, So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Okay, so we have two pretty similar stories right here. Uh, Angel Gabriel shows up. He says, you're going to have a baby to people who physiologically should not be having babies. And then uh, this baby is going to be somebody who's very, very, very special. All this stuff is the same. And even their answers, their responses to this promise look the same, right? He goes, uh, Zechariah goes, how do I know this will happen? And Mary goes, how can this be? And so I ask the question, how come Mary doesn't get muted? It seems kind of unfair. Uh, Same promises, virtually the same response, and uh, one of them gets muted, and then the other one goes, oh, I'm glad you asked. Here's how this is going to happen, right? It seems a little unfair. Um, I don't know exactly why it worked out that way. I have a couple of hunches. Uh, For one... Zechariah is an elderly priest who has served in the temple uh, probably almost every day of his adult life and probably knows the story, the famous story of how Israel began, the miraculous birth of Isaac to an elderly couple who couldn't conceive, just like himself, as opposed to a young virgin teenager who is not going to be, uh, who is going to have a baby by not doing the things that people do to have babies. I would think that maybe there's a little bit different expectation for faith from the elderly priest than the teenage girl. I would imagine. I think God is a good father, and I think that he expects, his expectations for us are different. I think, um, oh, man, I'm trying to think of the way this illustration goes. Luke said, it. I'm going to butcher it, so I'm just not even going to go for it. I'll use my own illustration. I think about Rocky. Uh, Rocky's got two grown boys, and he's got one uh, adorable five-year-old girl. And I imagine that his expectations on them 
are quite different, right? Um, and the Lord, I think, is the same with us. Uh, whenever we come to him, we all show up as babies in Christ, and things that look like faith when you're a baby uh, may actually look like doubt or rebellion <laughs> whenever you become a mature Christian, right? It's like a little kid who's growing up and trying to learn how to walk. You know, whenever your 18-year-old falls down, you're like, what's wrong with you? But whenever, <laughs> you know, you have a baby who's just learning how to walk, you know, they stand up and they take two steps and they fall down. They're like, that was amazing. You're doing so good. And I think that's how the patience of the Lord and his father heart works towards his children. Um, also, and this is, this is speculation too, but um, there's a difference between unbelief and questions. That's kind of the disadvantage that we have in reading a text like this. Is we, there's no emojis or anything to show us uh, how they're saying what they're saying. But, you know, there, it seems like there's a good chance that the way Zechariah asked was, how do I know that this is going to happen? Right? And, you know, it, it seems that maybe uh, the way Mary was asking was like, how can this be? You know, there's no way to, sh to know for sure, but I think the point still stands true is that unbelief is totally different from having genuine questions. Again, this is like the Lord's father heart towards us. Fathers don't get upset when their kids come to them with, like, like you have a three-year-old and a four-year-old, and they're in that stage of asking why, 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 why to everything. Uh, it does get annoying after a while, but, you know, dads are usually pleased to answer and pleased to inform and pleased to, to answer questions, whereas unbelief is different than that. Questions seek answers. Unbelief really just cuts us off from the heart of God. Our relationship with God is, is completely dependent upon faith, and anytime unbelief enters our relationship with God, it cuts us off from Him. Unbelief is different in that, you know what, I don't know, I don't get it, and I don't really want to know, don't really, uh, I, I just don't trust that God is good, period. And there's a huge difference. So, Zechariah is muted. Um, Mary hears from the Lord, and she believes. Picking up in uh, verse 39. It says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, a baby leaped, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So Elizabeth, uh, Mary goes to, goes to meet Elizabeth, and it's like a Holy Spirit bomb goes off whenever she walks in the door. Uh, Mary, all she does is walk in the room and the baby inside of Elizabeth leaps. It says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says she prophesied and yelled in a loud voice all this stuff that we just read. And there's a lot of good stuff um, in what she said that's really sweet, but I think the most striking thing that she said to me uh, is verse 45. It says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. 
What do you think the key word is there? Notice that it doesn't, I think it's pretty amazing that God has made, I mean, God has made the promise to this girl that she, as a virgin, is going to have a baby. Not only that, the baby is going to be the son of God. I would say blessed is Mary that God has even made these promises to her. Blessed is she that she's even, that God is going to do this. I would say blessed is she that she even, that God, God could have not even told her, could have just made it happen. I'd say blessed is she because she heard this promise that God made. But that's not what it says. It says, blessed is she who believes the promise that God made to her. Blessed are you when you believe the promises that God has spoken to you. It is crazy if you go back and you look and see how much of the Bible is really and how much a relationship with God, starting from Genesis to Revelation, how much our, our relationship with God is simply based on this simple principle of God saying, I will do this, I will be this. And all he asks is that you believe it. Our relationship with God is founded upon faith and believing what he says. There are a lot of people who go to church. There are a lot of people who sadly go to church every week and they come and they, we sing about the love of God and we hear these amazing uh, things preached by handsome youth pastors in the pulpit on Sunday morning and you hear, thank you Paul, and you hear all these amazing things that God has said. He said, anyone who believes in me will never die. Ask and you will receive I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. All of these amazing things that God is saying, life-changing things, reality-shaping things that God says in his word. But we go home from church virtually unchanged. How is that possible? I would venture, and a lot of times, you know, we know that there's something wrong with the church. We, we know that a lot of us are missing it. We know that a lot of Christians aren't living the way that they're supposed to be living. And a lot of times we go back to, okay, well, what are the pastors doing wrong? And, you know, what, are we teaching something wrong? Or, you know, what's, how, are we do, how can we do church better in a way that's going to change people's lives? And I think we should always ask those questions. Um, but I think sometimes we can do everything right and we can say everything right and we can teach all the right things, but it won't make a difference unless you believe it. You can hear the promises of God, you can know them, you can memorize them, and you can even, I would say, you can even say, I agree with that, but if you don't believe it, it is worthless to you. It's doing no good for you. I don't want to say all, but I want to say, like, by and large, for the most part, the promises of God are activated by faith. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he was raised to life so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that we could be raised to life with him. But it's amazing. The only way that that can be of any benefit for you is what? Is if you believe it, if you have faith. And this place, I mean, this, we're, not, we're not just talking about salvation by faith. Uh, we're ta- I'm talking about the disciples. Jesus said, hey, you guys, I'm giving you authority to cast out demons. And like, great, we're going to go do it. And then they tried, and they failed, and they, and they said, why did we fail? And Jesus said, because your faith was so little. 
It's amazing how much of our relationship with God just simply rests on, do you believe what he said? But then, like, the question becomes, you know, how do I, how do I get more of that? Like, how do you take somebody who hears something and they know it, uh, how do you get to that place where you're believing it, like really believing it to where it actually makes a difference? I don't think faith is an all-or-nothing thing. I don't think that you either have faith or you don't. Uh, I think Jesus talks about faith in a way that uh, you have little or you have much. He said, he, even, he said if, you have as, if you have this much, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And so I think it's not and or uh, you have it or you don't. I think pretty helpful is the guy who comes to Jesus with, you know, when he has the demon-possessed son, he asked Jesus to cast it out, and Jesus said, um, he said, you know, what do you want me to do for you? He said, if you can, cast it out. He said, if I can, and he's like, I believe, help my unbelief. I think there might be many ways to grow your faith, but I think that is probably the best place to start. Say, Jesus, this is what I got. Like, this is how much faith I have. Like, and I think probably the, the seed of all faith is God I know that you're real, and, and I, I'm trusting that you're good. I don't know if I have faith for my son to be healed. I don't know if I have faith for, you know, X, Y, or Z, but I just have this little bit right here. Can you take this, and can you grow my faith here? I believe here. Can you help my unbelief here? If there's another way, I don't know it. <laughs> That's the only way I know that we can grow in faith, because I think God sees that. I think it's, I think it's the same with what Mary said, like, she was confused. She didn't know how it was going to work, but I think she asked. The angel said that she believed him. I think as long as we come to Jesus and say, you know what, I believe you, I trust that you're good, help me with the rest of it, man, I believe you will. Um, you know, after this, Mary uh, sings, she, she just bursts out, and she starts uh, in a prayer, and she thanks God. Um, I'm going to skip that part uh, just because of time's sake, um, but you can go back and read Mary's song in verses 46 through 56. I'm going to skip down to uh, when John the Baptist is finally born. So if you go to uh, verse 56, or uh, 57. Mary went home, and then it says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. There's another promise being fulfilled. God said that this baby would bring many great joy. It said, On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No, he's going to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives that has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for the writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the, whole the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be for the Lord's hand? was on him. I just want to read to you what Zechariah said. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people 
he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. I think this is a really uh, beautiful passage. This whole thing is just a fun story. All this angel showing up and the Holy Spirit's making people praise God and babies jumping and just uh, all this awesome stuff. Um, But really what this whole thing is about, really if you look at it, God is making true on his promises. If you look at it like just in small picture, he shows up and tells Zechariah, like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Your wife and you are going to have a baby. It's going to bring great joy, and it's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you see all this stuff happen just within this chapter. You see Mary going to be promised to have a baby. She gets pregnant. And so God is coming, th- coming through, and he's making true on all these promises. But, and so it's like this small picture of it, but really it's just a microcosm of the really big thing that God is about to do right here right now. He's not just making promises. He's not making true on these little promises. In Jesus, he's about to make all of the promises come true. Jesus is going to make every promise that God has ever spoken come true. Look at the things that Mary says and that uh, Zechariah says. This is bigger than just babies being born to people who, haven't had ba- who couldn't have babies. It says, he, Mary said, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. This isn't just about Mary. This isn't just about Joseph. This is going all the way back to Abraham. Zechariah said, Praise be the Lord God of Israel. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. If you've been going, if you've been in a grow group and you've been probably going through 2 Corinthians with us, there's this beautiful, this one little beautiful phrase that Paul says to the Corinthians. And he said, all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. Jesus is God's yes to the world. Jesus is coming through, and people are walking, you know, the, the bleak situation that we find ourselves here in the middle of this path, in, in the very beginning of the New Testament, and we're seeing that there's some random king ruling where David was supposed to rule. Uh, they're under the authority of Rome. They're not free. They're not great. None of the promises seem to have come true. Is God here? Is God listening? Has he forgotten about us? Has he even, was he ever even real? All of these questions, and all of a sudden, Jesus is about, these, these are all questions in a world before Jesus. But Jesus is about to show up and show that he is the yes to all of these questions. He's about to show up and say, no, God is faithful. God is answering all of his promises in Jesus. The world may look kind of bleak, Right now, I would say, there's, you know, similar questions 
Jesus said, I'm coming back. It's been a long time <laughs> since he said that. Let me tell you, all of God's promises still find their yes in Jesus, even in the moments when it seems darkest, even in the moments when it seems least to be true. Usually that means that Jesus is about to show up. Let's be Mary's. Let's not be Zechariah's. Let's believe the promises. Jesus is coming back. Let's be the people who look forward to that. I'm just going to say one last thing. Maritza, uh, uh, oh, maybe I shouldn't. There's lots of babies crying, mine included. <laughs> Maritza always says this thing. She says, she says, uh, she, she guards her heart, okay? Um, whenever anything good is going to happen, whenever we were about to get, whenever we were going to go get married, uh, or whenever we were dating, she would never let me talk about marriage. She would never let me talk about kids or the future. She's like, I'm not. don't say anything to me until I have a ring, <laughs> okay? She refused to get her hopes up. She refused to, uh, you know, because everybody's experienced what it's like to get your hopes up for something, and then it doesn't happen, and you get crushed, and she's like, no, I'm just guarding my heart, you know, so don't tell me any of that until I have a ring. We're going, we were even going, we were supposed to go to a Cowboys game. She didn't fully trust the person who, had the t- who said they had the tickets for us, and so she would not believe it literally until we made it into, made it past the ticket gate, until she finally got excited. She says, got to guard my heart, don't get your hopes up. Let me tell you, we follow Jesus. Jesus is the yes of God to the world. He's the fulfillment of every promise And God has made wonderful, beautiful promises, and we are safe to believe them in Jesus. And so the message this morning, the message of Christmas, really, is get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. The future is bright. It might be dark right now, but in Jesus, ultimately, we have hope. So let's get our hopes up today. Jesus, we love you. We pray that you would grow our faith. We pray that you would build our hope. We thank you, Jesus, for just the beautiful story of Christmas. We thank you that we live in a world post-Jesus. Lord, we pray, let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.